If you are an administrator at the school or district level who is looking for ways to pay for your professional development, either for yourself or for your teachers, and maybe is not quite sure about the ways to fund that professional development, perhaps because there's a ton of new funding initiatives and you're not quite sure how to use those, this is the episode for you. Here we go. I'm Lindsay Lyons, and I love helping school communities envision bold possibilities, take brave action to make those dreams a reality, and sustain an inclusive, anti-racist culture where all students thrive. I'm a former teacher leader turned instructional coach, educational consultant, and leadership scholar. If you're a leader in the education world, whether you're a principal, superintendent, instructional coach, or a classroom teacher excited about school-wide change like I was, you are a leader. And if you enjoy nerding out about the latest educational books and podcasts, if you're committed to a lifelong journey of learning and growth and being the best version of yourself, you're going to love the Time for Teachership podcast. Let's dive in. So if you're a new administrator, if you're kind of parsing through all of the new funding that you have been given this year, I want to talk to you about which funding sources you can use to pay for your PD, both for you and your teachers. So I'll quickly talk first about Title I and II. I think this is typically where administrators are most likely looking to, to be able to pay for PD. These are common funding sources. So you're probably already familiar with those in terms of using Title I and II money for PD. I also want to talk to you a little bit about Title IV, which is a commonly overlooked source of funding that can be used for professional development. And then I will end with the ESSER, ESSER CARES Act, the CRRS Act, and the ARP Act, looking at those more recent funding opportunities. So if you're listening to this podcast you know, in 2022, 23, you know, in the future, and maybe this doesn't feel as relevant, you can kind of just skip that end piece uh, because these were COVID response funding sources. So here we go. Title one funding. I'm going to read through some of the language that you, again, may be familiar with, maybe not in terms of what you can spend title one funding on. And a lot of this relates to professional development. And so I'll highlight those. I won't read through all of the title one text, but I do want to highlight some of the pieces here. So Title I funding can be used to ensure that high-quality academic assessments, accountability systems, teacher prep and training, curriculum, and instructional materials are aligned with challenging state academic standards so that everybody can measure progress and students can achieve. So anytime we're seeing academic assessments, we're seeing teacher prep and training, we're seeing curriculum, instructional materials, right? This is a lot of what I do with curriculum boot camp. This is what a lot of professional development leaders facilitate on. That money can be used there particularly, and this is point two, when it meets the educational needs of low achieving children, that is their language. So we're talking about low socioeconomic status schools that are right title one funded. We often refer to them as title one. We talk about students who are multilingual and relatively new to the English language, students who might be refugees or recent immigrants to the country, students with IUPs, BIPOC students, uh, neglected or delinquent children, or young children who don't have reading proficiency yet. That's often what we think of when we think of Title I. We think of supporting specifically um, groups of children who have been 
and in their words, low achieving, I would say, who have not been supported by traditional educational systems. And so this is the funding that we use to rethink how we approach education so that it is more equitable, right? So that we address that gap or the achievement gap as it's closed. And that's point three, right? These monies can be used to close the achievement gap or what I would say the opportunity gap. Point four is about helping support turning around low-performing schools. So if you are in turnaround status, uh, that Title I funding is definitely useful there. Point seven, I just wanted to name, they talk about providing greater decision-making authority and flexibility to schools and teachers in exchange for greater responsibility for student performance. Now this can be done in a variety of ways and the way that this is phrased opens up a lot of professional development opportunities, use of survey tools to assess what is the student experience? What is the teacher experience? What is the family experience? There's a lot there um, that can be used in that way and be covered by Title I funding. I would also name that the decision-making flexibility piece, while it's talking about like funding, decision-making authority around how to spend your funds, I also want to encourage leaders to be thinking about decision-making in general, right? And so if we can support leaders to set up structures of shared leadership, right? With my shared leadership coaching program, we can use this money to support those flexible decision-making structures that actually are making better decisions because the research shows us when we incorporate multiple stakeholder viewpoints and leadership teams and decision-making processes, we make better decisions, right? For an organization that is a school, that's the students achieve more. So that can be used there. Point nine, promoting school-wide reform and ensuring the access of children to effective scientifically-based instructional strategies. You definitely want that research base, right? You want the PD that is based and rooted in research. And 10, looking at elevating the quality of the instruction, specifically by providing staff in those schools with substantial opportunities for professional development. When we look at the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, the definition of professional development is specifically pointing out that professional development activities should be sustained to be impactful. They should not just be standalone one day, short-term projects. They should be in their words, intensive, collaborative, job embedded, data-driven and classroom focused. So we think about this idea of collaborative. I think of group coaching models, right? Job embedded where not just focusing on building the curriculum, but we're focusing on implementing the curriculum. We're focused on instructional coaching cycles where teachers are able to say, here's what I did. Here's what didn't work. This is job embedded, right? This is collaborative. This is data-driven. Here's what the student results were from my last class where I tried this instructional strategy we learned at this PD didn't go as planned, right? So what do I do now? That ongoing job embedded coaching is going to be critical. So as we look at now Title II funding, I'm just going to, again, pull some excerpts here. Title II funding mostly is used for that professional development piece. So this may be really familiar. I'll go through these really quickly. It specifically refers to things like academic subjects, effective instructional strategies. We're really trying to improve the knowledge, not just of teachers, but also of principals as well. They specifically name principals. So Title II funding can absolutely be used to support principal PD or administrator PD at the larger leader level. Also, it can involve collaborative groups of teachers and administrators. So we can do group coaching, not just for teachers, but for administrators as well. It provides training or it can provide training on how to understand and use data and assessments to improve classroom practice and student learning. And again, I would encourage us to think beyond the data we often use, the numerical data, the testing data, the grade data, 
to also think about perception data, right? What is my experience of being in this class as a student? What is my experience of being a parent or a family member in the school district? That survey data is really critical to getting a full picture of the student experience and ultimately to improve class practice and student learning, as it says in the language. Another piece here is to promote not just the hiring, but also the retention of highly qualified teachers and principals. Specifically, it highlights we want to do this in schools where there's a high percentage of students who have not been achieving at the standards that their peers are. So again, those groups you mentioned earlier, often associated with Title I funding. Some of what that looks like to promote retention of these highly qualified teachers and principals, it says, is teacher mentoring. And these could be programs that are set up to have teachers mentor teachers, principals or superintendents might be mentoring teachers, also specifically for new teachers. And they count this as the first three years of employment, as well as innovative professional development programs that might do things like integrate tech into the curricula um, and improve tech literacy, but it doesn't just need to be about technology integration, right? There's a much more expansive piece here when we're talking about innovative PD. And finally, just again, it talks about carrying out PD designed to improve the quality of principals and superintendents. So very specifically, leader PD is something you can use Title II funding for, and you should be using Title II funding for, right? If we're not leading well, then we could have great teachers, but everything is going to fall to pieces. That leadership is absolutely critical. And so we need to invest in our own PD as leaders to be able to support the teachers the way that they need to be supported. So let's move on to Title IV funding. Again, often not really thought of perhaps as a funding source. I will link to the show notes, this really great table that the Illinois State Board of Education has put together for this federal funding source in terms of what you're allowed to use and what you're not allowed to use. And I will say from the perspective of providing PD and contracting with a PD provider, you can absolutely be using Title IV funding for PD. You can do it specifically on a variety of topics that while the language may say something specific, I think there's a lot of things that are unspoken in that language that ultimately serve these topic areas, uh, but may not be specifically stated. And so I'll talk a little bit about what that is too, but for contracting for PD, you can absolutely pay the PD provider through title IV funding. The only thing that is not allowed is substitutes for teachers who aren't attending uh, PD that is funded through Title IV. So if you want to fund the PD through Title IV, you can pay for the substitutes to attend that PD during the school day as well. So Title IV allowable uses of funds. The first category is kind of this promoting well-rounded education. And so this means Things like academic content areas, foreign language instruction, arts, music education, American history, civics, economics, geography, government education, environmental education. There's so many specific areas that if we improve access to them for all students or strengthen the instruction in those areas, that is covered under Title IV. Also things like programming to improve instruction in the STEM fields 
particularly increasing access for subjects in underrepresented groups. So we're talking about programming, things like AP, international baccalaureate programs, um, all of this, but we're also talking about improving the instruction of those courses. So just offering those courses is not good enough, right? It's offering quality instruction in those courses and consistently strengthening year after year, investing in PD to improve the courses that we're offering. Here's the piece that I mentioned earlier. The next kind of bucket is promoting safe and healthy schools or safe and supportive schools. And so when we think about this, this is the language that they use. Uh, bullying prevention, relationship building skills, dropout prevention, re-entry programs and transition services for justice-involved youth, school readiness and academic success, child sexual abuse awareness and prevention, reducing use of exclusionary discipline practices and promoting supportive school discipline, suicide prevention, school resource officer. So a lot of that stuff, if we are in spaces where we are trying to foster a school community that is anti-racist, that advances intersectional justice, yes, we will likely decrease bullying. We will likely increase relationship building. We will likely decrease students leaving school. Uh, we will likely do all of these things. All of these are kind of outcomes of programs that develop and facilitate generative conversations about race and anti-racist policy and having an anti-racist class culture. So I think that's not explicitly named here, but anything, any programming, any professional development around this is going to contribute to all of these outcomes that are listed in the language. Another piece here is around, uh, again, student physical and mental health, I think relatedly. Um, so things about trauma-informed class management, we're talking about uh, violence prevention, health and safety practices and athletic programs, promoting healthy active lifestyles, physical activity, mental health services, right? All of these pieces, again, can be embedded in instructional practice and professional development to embed these in instructional practice, as well as funding things like counselors and social workers and additional PE teachers. There's also a section on effective use of technology. And so, of course, there's high quality PD for, again, it says educators, school leaders, and administrators to personalize learning and improve academic achievement. So I want to be very clear that the technology piece here isn't just tech integration, learn a couple tech tools like the end. We're talking about tech integration with a purpose, which is to personalize the learning. And so when we can do that, we have that personalized learning uh, kind of understanding that we need that PD of what that is, what that could look like, what are the strategies? So it's not just learning some tech tools. It is tech in service of personalizing the learning in order to advance academic achievement. And so some of that is absolutely building teachers capacity with the tech tools and building the infrastructure and all of these things. But other pieces that are included in this include creating and carrying out innovative blended learning projects, delivering specialized or rigorous academic courses and curricula using technology. So there are a lot of pieces here that are very academic, pedagogical, that go beyond just simply, you know, learning tech, which I think a lot of what we ended up seeing schools spending money on in 2020 and a little bit of 2021 as well was technology programs and learning technology tools or technology programs um, that were often divorced from, not always certainly, but often were divorced from the pedagogy. So I think that's important to name. Okay, as we wrap up, we are gonna now go to the ESSER funding. 
This is specific to kind of COVID funding that came out in 2020, 2021. And so if you are listening to this years from now, you can probably turn off that episode, um, but feel free to keep listening if you would like. So under the ESSER program, we have ESSER CARES Act, ESSER 1, right? ESSER 2, the CRRSA Act, and then we have the ARP ESSER or the ARP Act. So I'm going to talk about kind of where these overlap. So the first thing I'm going to say are the list of things that are covered by all three of the ESSER fundings. That is planning and implementing summer learning, providing mental health services and supports, and activities that specifically address the unique needs of students who have been historically underserved by school systems. And we've talked about those prior. The first two ESSER funding sources provide resources for principals and leaders to address school-specific needs. So there's a lot of different things that this covers. I'm just highlighting a kind of a few areas that I want to be clear on, because again, I think locating the funding for PD, not just for teachers, but for administrators as well, is really critical. So ESSER funding can be used to provide resources for principals and leaders to address school-specific needs. And if that school-specific need is raising capacity for you as a leader to be able to advance student achievement, whether it be through shared leadership practices, being able to support a more meaningful project-based learning, justice-centered curriculum, then that's what that is. That's PD for the leader. The last two, ESSER 2 and the ARP ESSER, those fund the following addressing learning loss among all students and all subgroups. Again, I have, I think maybe spoken before about problematizing the term learning loss, but uh, thinking about how we, again, support students who have been historically underserved, underserved particularly as a result of COVID. But when we think about what that includes, um, they use language like administering high quality, reliable assessments that assess student academic progress and assist educators in meeting student needs, including by using differentiated instruction. So when I think about high quality project-based learning, it is differentiated. It offers student voice and choice. It is meaningful and thus motivating because it's relevant to students' lives. And it is high quality. It's asking students to actually apply skills. And so that fits here. If we transition to a meaningful project-based model that centers justice, we're asking students to apply their skills that they're learning in class and not just complete worksheets to make up, you know, any quote unquote learning loss that they may have experienced due to COVID. We are meeting students where they need to be, and we are going to see massive growth. That's what the research tells us um, in those students' performances. Also under this category, the language reads implementing evidence-based activities to meet the comprehensive needs of students. So again, we want these things to be research or evidence-based as well. I will link to a bunch of the sources that I used to compile all of this for you in the show notes. And I hope this has been helpful in just thinking about how I'm going to actually pay for the PD for my teachers as a leader or my own professional development if I am a leader myself. Finally, a lot of schools who have maybe an influx of cash this year as a result of COVID funding and maybe haven't actually been able to spend it all, which is a very unique problem to this particular year, um, you can absolutely purchase software programs or future PD or things like this for future years with this year's budget. And so just kind of be mindful. We don't want that money to go to waste. If we see an influx now, and this is a program or an opportunity that maybe once the COVID funding goes away, we're not going to be able to fund in the future. Think about purchasing multiple years or contracting multiple years in advance 
to be able to make sure that you have that funding allocated for what you need it for. That wraps up our title language rich episode on funding your professional development. Please, if you enjoyed this, share it with a colleague, share it with another leader, go ahead and rate and review the podcast so other people can find it. And I will see you next week. Thanks for listening, amazing educators. If you loved this episode, you can share it on social media and tag me at Lindsay Beth Lyons or leave a review of the show so leaders like you will be more likely to find it. To continue the conversation, you can head over to our Time for Teachership Facebook group and join our community of educational visionaries. Until next time, leaders, continue to think big, act brave, and be your best self. Thank you.